Hi, my friends. I hope you're all well. I just got a uh, message I want to share with you. Uh, it's in print. I've posted it on a couple of things uh, out there. But this is the video that's going to go on the church page uh, on Facebook. And then the audio that will go to uh, our Ojai Valley Community Church.org uh, podcasts. So you can check them out there, too. Um, I, I want to start off by saying this. I, I'm called... And I label myself as a progressive pastor. Um, I really don't know what the, <laughs> what the word progressive means. I don't know. A progressive pastor. A friend, I talked, this guy, I did a uh, interview with this author who's writing a book. And this has to do with college football. And anyways, he goes, you know, I looked you up. And, and on Wikipedia, they got you as a progressive pastor. I'm like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't really know what that means. Uh, um, but, uh, that's what I'm called. I'm also called a heretic. Now that I would agree with, that's a hundred percent what I am. Uh, but outside of that, I've also been called a left winger, an alt left, uh, a Democrat, uh, which I'm not, I mean, I don't identify with a particular political party. Um, a libtard, I get that thought you're, you're just a libtard and so on. I don't know what label fits outside of heretic, but I know what I believe in, and I, today I want to talk about that. Um, and, I, and I want to start off by saying, first of all, I believe in community. There was a time we were thinking about changing the church name, and, and I was talked out of it, and I was really glad that I was, because the truth is that word community has come to mean everything to me. Uh, we are Ojai Valley Community Church. We are community church, and I believe in community. And I, I believe that's something that Jesus believed in too and created and that's really what church means it just means in the old English community a gathering we're a community um, and I believe the concept of community exists because we as human beings do better in community than in isolation we do better helping each other uh, so to live in community and help each other uh, and my saying that even causes many people to kick back and go like, oh, you're a communist. You're a Marxist. I got that the other day, as a matter of fact. Um, and yet others would say, Paul, that's, that's the book of Acts. That's the early church. It's living in community. Okay. And so, so others identify me as a Christian. Others identify me as a Marxist. Uh, but I believe that helping each other become the best version of ourselves is what Jesus would want. And that is really what I have intended to do uh, in the late years of my work in Jesus land. Uh, I believe that we should pursue doing what we love. Not just pursuing happiness, but helping each other actually attain it. I mean, I want to live in a society in a neighborhood of happy people, don't you? Contented neighbors. I mean, neighbors who care about each other and cheer each other on. You know, even now during COVID, like, let's, we're pulling for each other. I want to wake up and I want to be uh, grateful. Uh, and that's what my faith, I think, has helped me to be. Grateful for what I have. And generous uh, to others that have less. I mean, I believe that Jesus taught us specifically as humanity 
to share. Well, that's nothing unique to Jesus. Really, I don't think it is. Heck, my mom and dad, my upbringing as a kid, my school teachers, they all taught me to share. Sharing was like one of those values that good parents and teachers teach. You look out for others. Uh, as in the Bible is said, uh, after Cain slew Abel, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Well, that was resoundingly answered as yes by Jesus. We are our brother's keeper. We are to look out for each other. And that means, as I was taught as a kid, uh, you split your sandwich at lunch or recess with a kid that doesn't have one. And I remember that happening. And I also remember that happening to me. Kids sharing their food with me because my mom was sick for a period and I didn't have a, a lunch made when I came. You share the toys. You share, you know, playthings in the sandbox. I mean, this is like kindergarten stuff. We learn to share. We learn to help each other. I remember many times in school, especially particularly I think of math because I've never been good at math. Um, the kid next to me would get it. You know, working through the, the problems on our page and, you know, shared desks and I wasn't freaking getting it and he'd help me. And then there would be other things that I got that he didn't and I would help him to understand it. And that's a really great moment, that moment of like, aha, I helped someone get it. That's what we do. On the playground, we were taught that if somebody fell off the monkey bars or riding our bikes home after school, if somebody crashed, you, you didn't ride by or walk by. You stopped. You helped them. You called for help. You assisted. That's what you do. I believe that's what Jesus teaches us to do, to care for one another. So when I think about those things, and we talk about things in a practical sense, like living in America, for me, for example, uh, I'll take this issue, a thoughtful health care plan for our nation and for its citizens is really important to the community, for me. A health care plan that helps people stay well, get well, and doesn't financially destroy them like I've known so many when they get sick. There's something that lines up with my faith and something that I think Jesus would endorse. Like, man, take care of each other. Especially when you live in the richest country in the world. Wow. So whatever you want to call it, I believe as a follower of Jesus, we need to get it done. Because it's not. What, what, what is currently the system and has been the system for many, many, many decades is broken. It's not working. Now, there's been improvements. Yeah, whatever you want to say. If you think I'm pitching Obamacare, I'm not a pitching Obamacare. What I'm trying to tell you is, is if it wasn't for the ACA, I would not have health insurance. Neither would my family. Neither would many of my family members, right? 
I have an autoimmune disease. It's a pre-existing condition. My son has muscular dystrophy. That is a pre-existing condition. He did nothing to deserve. My nephew, my beloved nephew, has diabetes. I remember when we discovered it because we were taking care of him that day. He was just like two years old. And he's been a lifelong diabetic. That wasn't his fault. But in a community, you care for one another. So a thoughtful healthcare plan is a good idea to me. And I don't want to, I don't care what you, you can call it socialized medicine. You can call it universal. You can say, hey, we need to do it in a free market. You can make it tiered, uh, which means that, hey, some are going to be able to afford more or better than the bare minimum. But there ought to be a basic minimum healthcare plan for all people in this country, the richest country in the world. And then some might be able to afford more or better. Great. But all people should be able to get a, you know, a checkup. They should be able to help, you know, like I have to do, take some medications to help with my blood pressure, my cholesterol. My, I, I get it. I get it. And maybe you can't afford it. This autoimmune disease, the reason I can function is because I take a drug called Humira. And because of the ACA and because of my current fact that I have good health care, I mean, pretty good, I can afford to get it. Now, I may not always be able to do that. And it may have to be that I got to go back onto what I was on before, which is methotrexate, which is just chemotherapy. And it's cheap. And if that's the way it is, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'll take what I can get. But we should all be able to get something to help us feel better get it done and, and we do this best by using an ancient concept way before the Bible but definitely emphasized in the Bible and then much more so em emphasized by Jesus and his followers we do that by pooling our resources and pooling our resources means we it's, it's even in the New Testament it's proportional. You do what you can with what you have to help others. Some can do more, some less. But together, everything matters. I've always been, you know, we don't take offerings at our church. Well, when we used to meet, we don't meet anymore. But when we met, I never, I eliminated, for many years we took offerings. Oh my God, you can't believe how many elder meetings it was all about. How do we get better giving units? Literally the language used. Giving units mean money, contributors. And how many times I was under so much pressure, like, Paul, you got to do something. <laughs> Raise the giving. Which, in other words, means you got to start guilting people. You got to get them to tithe that 10% of their income. Gross or net? I mean, <laughs> the conversations we have. And I'm looking at a bunch of people that need help. Anyways, that's where my heart was at. I really didn't care. I did care. I cared about the fat bigwig in the back row who was worth millions and always had the biggest mouth in church board meetings and everything else. I'll never forget this. And this guy, he had big hair, big house, big boats, Porsches, cars, the whole thing, and he always shot his mouth off.
in in our in our church meetings about everything that was wrong and blah 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 and then one day i guess i finally pissed him off uh, long enough that he left and when he left i actually uh did something i never did before i was kind of like oh my god i just offended and chased out one of the biggest givers this could be a problem for next year so i did something i never did before i asked our accountant secretary it's not something i didn't have a right to do but something i just never did i said i needed to know how much are we going to hurt what did he give last year and the year before? And in both years, it combined to $500. Mr. Porsche driving, boat driving, mansion living, big mouth. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Whew. I was taught that that it's a pretty great New Testament concept. I was also taught by my father, who was an agnostic, that that's the minimum we do. My dad actually, as an agnostic, he often gave not out of his wealth. He gave out of his poverty. Jesus mentions that one time about an old widow who gives to the treasury her last pennies. Often that's misused in preaching, like, look at that woman. Look at her commitment to giving to the church. She gave her last two pennies. But, but that wasn't what Jesus was saying at all. It was a scathing rebuke of the rich. Because he said the rich, see the rich, they come and they blow trumpets and they make big announcements as they pour their money into the temple treasury. This little widow came with two pennies and dropped them in and left. And she put in more than all of them together. Why, he said, because she gave out of her poverty. Now, that has been used to guilt people into giving more. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was talking about was that widow should not have been giving anything. She should have been receiving. And those people that were wealthy, they were giving, but they were giving out of their wealth. They were just giving a small fraction of it. So the Bible talks about like giving proportionately to what you have. My dad, an agnostic, taught me to give above and beyond that. It's not rocket science. You don't need a 2,000. Listen, if you need a 2,000-year-old book to teach you how to be a good human, you're fucked already, in my opinion. I don't, I don't care what the book is or what the religion is. My dad was not a religious man, but he knew what was right and wrong, what was good and bad. Most people do. When we do this, we create a, a better society. When we can give and contribute proportionately, we create a happier community. I believe that about like educating and educating our kids. I believe educated societies make better choices, lead better lives, have better discernment. And I'm not just talking about core subjects of math and science and English. I'm talking, I mean, they're important. Like history, you better fucking know your history. Or you're doomed to repeat it, as it's been said. But I'm talking about life guidance. You know, when I was in high school, 
I enjoyed public schools. I, I loved my schools. I had many great schools and teachers. Perfect? No, there's no such thing in the world. But, you know, I got to play sports. I got to be a part of a team. I had coaches that impacted my life that I still love and I'm thankful for today. I got to learn things that I didn't know. I got to think. But it wasn't just the core subjects. It was playing sports. It was art and drama and band and shop, metal shop and wood shop. And these things that my kids got to experience for a little bit, but they cut them out more and more. But, you know, I know so many kids who are just so blossoming because they're in drama and art. And, and other kids who discover how good they are with their hands because they took wood shop and metal shop and auto shop. These are important things. Hell, I remember taking an econ, uh, e you know, home economics class. We learned how to bake and cook and balance checkbooks. Literally, how to sew and type. Some of the freaking great. Everybody, every kid should have to do that. And when we are educated, we get a certain amount of freedom. It creates healthy thinking, and Jesus is for that. And that's why I'm really all for paying taxes. I am. Tax, taxes are a good thing, it's a great concept. I'm all for him. And by the way, Jesus said, when questioned about taxes, pay your taxes and shut the fuck up. Just pay them. You don't hear that too many from too many evangelical pastors today, right? He's like, pay them. Now, I, uh, I find that when I pay my taxes, I feel good because I want to contribute to the common good of our community. I love to live in a community where we have a fire station. Firemen, policemen, that is what taxes pay for. I almost died the other night, a couple months ago. And while I was convulsing on the ground, rigid and near death, my wife picked up the phone and she called 911. And in a few minutes, the boys from Station 22 were here in force. And they got me hooked up. They got me IV. They got me into the ambulance. They got me to the hospital. And my life was saved. Because we pay taxes and have something called the fire department. That's a great thing. I love public schools. I already told you. I love parks. I love libraries. I love driving on the freeway, and the 101, and the 10, and the 5, when I go to Frisco, or I drive to Colorado, or to San Diego. I like highways. I like the benefits of having uh, a community with public schools and parks. Here's the, here's the kicker about taxes. I'm happy to pay my fair share. That's all I want. I don't like paying taxes when it's not fair. I don't like paying taxes when I'm paying more tax than somebody else that makes 10 times as much as me because they got loopholes. They can cheat the system. 
they can shovel their wealth offshore. No, I don't like that at all. I don't like freeloaders and mooches and theft and lazy thieves, but I don't like greed and loopholes and offshore accounts and cheats and tax shelters and corporations profiting by the billions while contributing nothing to our country. Mm -mm. The Bible doesn't endorse that. In fact, it condemns it. Not does it just condemn it. It, it, it talks about God being so angry he wants to bring his wrath and destruction down upon that country. Speaking of countries, uh, thinking of our own, when it comes to taxes, I believe in a very strong military determinant. I mean, a deterrent. We, we, we need a strong military deterrent. I'm 98% pacifist. I try to walk softly and be kind and compassionate to everyone. But I'm also 2%. I will bury you if you try to impose evil upon me or my loved ones. Bury you. Uh, Roosevelt, right? Not Franklin, but Theodore. Walk softly. Carry a big stick. <laughs> I love that. And I think it reflects a little bit of Jesus. Jesus could walk very softly, but then he'd pull out the big stick. He would lay into the religious elite and leaders and the Pharisees, and he would lay into the politicians, and he would lay into the greedy, and he would particularly, particularly lay into the wealthy. He'd rip them to the bone. Hell, one time he got so pissed off, he made a whip and he beat the shit out of people. I know some people are going to go, oh, he made the whip so he could chase the animals out of the temple. No, I know how to read. He made a whip and he beat everybody out of the temple. He caused a riot. He took their money and he scattered it on the ground like he was busting open a Brinks armory car in the middle of an impoverished neighborhood. He said, share in this extortion and wealth. It belongs to you too. The US, well, I think about that. Walk softly, carry a big stick, but uh, a great general and president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, said be very wary after he gave up his presence. He was the uh, supreme allied com commander during World War, T World War II. This guy, oh my God, what a hero. And he said, as he retired, however, he saw something ominous, a military industrial complex. Where, where literally people were going to suffer because the powerful wanted to build a stronger military so they could impose their will. The U.S. military is the best example of out-of-control socialism. It's a socialized system. It's the biggest social program on the planet. We, taxpayers, give more of our hard-earned dollars to the U.S. military than the next 10 superpower nations behind us combined. Wow. 
talk about wasteful socialism, the U.S. military is at the top. And the funny thing is, is so many people support it. So many Americans support the U.S. military, but don't want universal health care. We, we hate socialism! Socialism! God bless the U.S. military. Universal health care? Well, socialism! That's evil! You, uh, you have, and this is where education comes in. Because so many people are so ignorant, uneducated. You can, you can, you, you just hook them with your finger by the mouth and you can drag them anywhere because they're so stupid. I don't get it. Part two broke this up a little bit. I want to talk about uh, the next thing I believe in as a follower of Jesus. I believe in a livable wage. And yes, if you're flipping hamburgers eight hours a day in a McDonald's, you should be making a wage where you can pay rent and feed yourself. It's hard fucking work. I've done it. Most of you probably haven't. Most of you have probably never done 40 hours a week in a fast food establishment. It's hard work. And these people deserve respect. These people deserve fair wages, a living wage, as it was called in the biblical times, a day's wages. These are not lazy people trying to milk the system. These are people that get up in the morning and work hard all day so that a corporation can profit billions. What sickens me is that these people not only have to do that all day, often they got to get a second job at night, maybe a third on the weekend, just to make ends meet. That is wrong. That is evil. These are not lazy people. They're good Americans I respect greatly. And I'm not talking about, oh, paying a living wage means that you can go out and buy a mansion and a yacht and drive a Porsche. No, no, no. Those are the overpaid corporate executives. <laughs> they get to do all that while they sit on their asses. I'm just talking about simply living. Making rent. Putting food on the table. That's the Christian, that's the Jesus way of doing things. I also believe in religious freedom. The right to believe and practice the faith that you wish. So did Jesus. Jesus praised a Gentile Roman soldier as having the greatest faith he found in Israel. You wonder why they killed him. He used a Samaritan, the wrong race, the wrong tribe, the wrong religion, everything wrong, the lowest rung 
in the strata of Jewish thought was a Samaritan, and he uses a Samaritan to humble and humiliate the Jews by showing someone who knows what true love and compassion is, and it was the Samaritan, not the Jew. You wonder why they killed him. Listen, I know many assholes that call themselves Christians, and some of the best people I know call themselves atheists. So I believe in a separation of church and state. What a brilliant concept. Good job, America. It's a good idea. And the church should have no special legal standing in the government different from any other profit business. It's disastrous what's happening out there. Now, if it's actually, actually, a nonprofit 501c3, then I support the government helping that nonprofit like any other, because nonprofits do a lot of good in America. And they can use our help. Why? Because most nonprofits that are actually functioning the way they're supposed to are nonprofit. <laughs> like my church, they're almost always broke, right? Because you're giving money away. You're, you're raising money and then you're distributing it to help others in need. So, yeah. I support that. I support the government helping that, but stay out of the religion. There's so many people like, we America, what we need is prayer in schools. Jesus, I want to throw up. No. No. Keep prayer out of schools. I don't need the government telling me when or how or who to pray to or ostracizing me or humiliating me because I refuse to. Pure evil. Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And that doesn't prohibit any kid from praying in the school. I don't care if they pray to Allah, Krishna, Buddha, God, the man in the moon. God knows I prayed to all of them before every test. Because I never studied. <laughs> don't impose your religion on anyone. Practice your faith. But don't impose it. Jesus never did. What Jesus did do is uphold, uplift, and promote basic human rights for everyone. He demonstrated that in the way he lived. And if you're a human, male, female, hermaphrodite, gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual, queer, heterosexual, you don't actually know what you are yet. Whether you're black or white or brown, old or young, rich or poor, as a human being, you have an equal right, like all of us do, to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That is called equality. That's what I'm talking about. And actually, equality is what Jesus died for or died because he was for. It's what the New Testament declares. Equality. Now, equality doesn't mean everybody has the same. 
or gets the same. It's, it's just a premise that makes whatever you have or wherever you're at, the opportunity for it to be good and for us to have a healthier society and community. That's why, like, I believe in secure borders. I do. Not popular with a lot of people who think I am the libtard Democrat. No, I believe in a secure border as a nation. I believe in the legal process like my parents went through of immigration. I'm the first and only one born here in my family. My sister wasn't born here. But as a follower of Jesus, I believe that people who are attempting to come here illegally should be humanely treated not traumatized, not caged and abused and separated and dehumanized. That's not loving your neighbor like yourself. They don't need more trauma on top of the trauma they're trying to escape from. People are not coming here because they had a lovely life before. For the most part, they're coming here because they're trying to escape horror. And they deserve compassion and understanding, even if they cannot enter ultimately or become citizens. They are, however, human beings. And that means we need to help them. So I believe in developing really good relationships with our neighbors. Shit. Canada and Mexico, they should be our best friends. They're our closest neighbors. And we need to cooperate with them. And all other nations that are willing to. To create methods. To compassionately address the human crises. Of migration. That is caused most of all. By evil, corrupt, rogue nations. War, famine. And even now and even more in the future. Climate change. We are stronger against tyranny and evil together. We are far more effective in bringing relief to victims, working together with other peoples. That's why we need to make allies, not alienate them. We need to see the world at a certain point as community as well, even though we have our own nation. And that's why laws are important laws for all of us as united nations and laws for us as individual nations. We need regulations. We need severe punishment for environmental destruction, fraud and greed and scams and market manipulation and business and trade. We need laws that make our environment and food and medications and workplace and transportation safe and protected. And all of this is called government. The government is there to build infrastructure, to create jobs and clean energy, lay down a contract for the community to live in so we can respect each other and make it the best possible community for everybody. And when we do that, we, we raise the standard of living for everyone. In 1776, we started with 2.5 million people. 
Well, it's not 1776. It's 2020. We got about 350 million. And that means no matter what, government's going to be big. So I do not, you know, oh, these people oh, don't want big government. It's already big. It's got to be big. We have 350 million people. What do you mean? I don't want big government. Jesus. It's going to be big, period. That doesn't mean it can't be effective and it can't be limited. It can, and I'm all for that. I believe in our democracy. I believe in free, secure, unhindered elections without foreign interference or fixing on the inside. That's called righteousness. And guess what? It's not happening. I believe our country was founded upon a concept of freedom from tyranny. Beautiful. Awesome. But in doing so, we also committed genocide, murder. We trafficked in human beings and slavery, all the while so-called making this nation against tyranny. Wow. We need to own that shit. We need to. We haven't. We, we, we say we have, but we really haven't. So many today still benefit greatly from the grievous sin that developed this country, including yours truly. And many others still suffer greatly. This is a nation that was built upon sin, the sin of racism and white supremacy, period. It's our history, and it's a cancer that still flourishes today. And that cancer needs to be cut out, radiated, and chemoed to death until it's eradicated. Yeah, it would be really helpful if America did, perhaps what so many of my friends in AA suggest in the big book of the 12 steps. First of all, uh, if we took a couple of those steps, it might help us. One being a fearless moral inventory. Admit to ourselves and others the exact nature of our wrongs. We're ready to remove these defects from ourselves and our character. And to do better and not fall short. And we list the people that we harmed and we make direct amends to them, however and whenever we can, unless it's going to hurt them. And then we live a life where we continue to take inventory daily. And when we're wrong and it's pointed out or we realize it, we admit it. We confess it, and then we turn around and make it right. That sounds a lot like the Jesus teachings to me. I believe in law and order as a follower of Jesus. I support the noble guardians of the citizenry uh, who have chosen the career, the noble career of 
law enforcement, and I'm so grateful for them. I support them, but I don't support racist, abusive, militarized, poorly trained police goons or departments that operate abusively with immunity. No. We need universal policing reform and accountability now. We need to stop the insane privatization of for-profit prisons. We have turned throwing people into prison into a booming economic industry making billions for a few at the expense of human beings. It's, it's systematic human torture. So many people I know and across the board have been incarcerated because of mental illness and addiction and traumas they've experienced that wreck them for which they've had no medical help or recourse. What do we do? Throw them in prison. And then, which is socialized by the way, our tax dollars pay for it. But then we say, but, but we don't believe in mental health care. Do you know that the United States of America incarcerates more of its citizens than China and Russia combined? Two nations with pretty awful governments. We have more in prison than both of them combined. And they have, them combined is five times our population. Imagine that. They have five times our population, but we incarcerate more Americans than they do altogether. It's immoral. Man, it's got to be changed. And I'll end with this. I believe in, 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 in what our founding fathers believed in, too. I believe in a well-regulated militia. To have the right to bear arms. That does not mean every ignorant, hick, idiot, wannabe Rambo has a right to have a garage full and basement full cache of, of weapons and assault rifles. That's stupid. When the right to bear arms was penned, you had muskets. Took you about five minutes to load and shoot the damn thing. Come on, people. It's harder to get a driver's license. You gotta take a driving test written. You gotta take uh, a driving test in person. You've gotta go through an eye test. You have to take X amount of hours of driving school so your kid can get a driver's license. Or you can walk into any damn store at the age of 18 and buy an assault weapon. What kind of stupid nation does that? Listen, whatever this, that all is, whatever it is that I've expressed that I believe in, um, you can use that to label me as you wish. Heretic Christian. Libtard Humanitarian.
fool. Well, if it's going to be fool, at least call me like Paul said, a fool for Christ. I don't know what label fits me. I just am expressing to you where I'm at. And what I'm doing is I try to live on my life and follow Jesus the best I can. I wish you peace and grace and strength and courage and safety and health and happiness and joy, love and laughter in the day, week and life ahead. See ya.